Hey everybody, what's happening? What's going on? Everything good? Weekend was fine? All's well in your world? Well, I hope your week is off to a good start and what better place to start your sports week off here on the J Reels Podcast. I'm your host, J Reels. This is your first time tuning in, listening to a different, fresh, new voice that you probably stumbled across, whether it's on my website at uh, jreels.com or through the podcast universe. I really appreciate you taking the time out and downloading and listening to this episode. So welcome aboard. And for those who have listened to me more than once, I welcome them back. I'm here each and every week to deliver everything that's going on in the world of sports, whether it be on the diamond, on the ice, the hardwood, the gridiron, the golf course, racetrack, tennis court, you name it. From my lips to your ears, from my heart to your soul, from where I am to wherever you are. The J Reels podcast always comes correct, direct, and in full effect. Here on a Monday, August 13th, in the year of our Lord, 2018. And uh, what we have on the docket today, we'll start off uh, with the baseball. But before we get to that, we'll talk about Tiger. That's right, Tiger Woods was lurking at another major there yesterday out in Missouri. Falling short to Brooks Kepka. We'll certainly recap that, a recap Tiger as we move forward here. Now the golf season is still going, but all the majors have been completed. So what does that mean between now and the Masters for Tiger Woods? We'll certainly delve into some NFL news and notes. Most uh, importantly, what's happening here locally between the quarterback competition for the Jets, Sam Darnold and Teddy Bridgewater, as they had fine openings against the Atlanta Falcons there on their first preseason game. Also, the Giants would say Quan Barkley's big first carry. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about that. But first, we'll dive into the baseball as we are now just seven weeks away from the end of the baseball season. And when you think about that, seven weeks, it'll be here before you know it. You know, football, as we all know, will be in full swing in about, what is it, three weeks from this coming Thursday. The college football season is Labor Day weekend. And then pretty much the month of September will just fly by. Pennant baseball will be in full effect. And the next thing you know, it's going to be October. And we'll be discussing and breaking down the wildcard games and the division series, etc. So I tell you, the time just keeps on ticking. Enjoy those days, people, because whomever out there who loves summer like I do, you want to get out there, exercise, be able to enjoy these long days because as of today, again, August 13th, it's starting to get dark now around 8.30, where it used to get dark around 9. So, people, salvage this summer as much as you can because Lord knows I'm going to do that. But I digress. I'll get back to the baseball right now. As you can tell, I just do not want to let go of summer. Be that as it may, people. The baseball landscape, especially here in New York, well, we're not going to get into the Mets, of course. Although tonight, there is the final chapter of the Subway Series, which has a pitching matchup from the gods when you have Jacob deGrom going up against Luis Severino. And then that's the not even good news. That's great news. Considering not only just for the Subway Series fans, the Met fan, Yankee fan, but just for baseball to look forward to a matchup like that with, against you know the two all-stars going up against one another. But the bad news is that the weather's just been awful today, and it's pretty much been awful all summer. It's been hot, which I love, but it's been very wet. And who knows if they're going to even get this game in or if they even have any other future dates where they could possibly play. I think there's one other date on the calendar where they may be able to squeeze this game in. But if not, if we do not have a game tonight at Yankee Stadium, then chances are they may have to make this up sometime. I believe the first... Maybe September, if I'm not mistaken. I don't have the schedules in front of me, but wouldn't it be something that if the Mets and Yankees do not play this final game that they have to wait till October 1st or whenever that first Monday after the season is? That would be something else. But 
We'll worry about that then. We'll see if they're going to have a game tonight. But I know it will be very tricky because you don't want to have the forecast looking as if there's a window for this game to be played. And the next thing you know, you're two innings deep into a game with two of the best pitchers in baseball. And the next thing you know, they got to sit through a rain delay. And then you got to use the bullpen the rest of the game. So that's how it goes. That's how uh, Mother Nature works sometimes. And unfortunately for the last installment of the Subway Series tonight, between those two behemoth of uh, – pitchers that are going up against one another we hope to get that in we hope to get that matchup we hope to see that matchup but uh we'll see how it unfolds as i look out the windows now and it's just very cloudy very wet so chances are not going to get the game in but as far as the yankees are concerned we're going to start there the last time we spoke the yankees were licking their wounds going to chicago to play the white Sox after getting swept four games in boston they lost the back end of that series to Baltimore, the two-game series at the stadium. So they crawled into Chicago in the middle of the night on Monday night or Monday morning with a nine-and-a-half game deficit, losing five in a row. And on the podcast last week, I said that the Yankees will be perfectly fine, that this was a rough stretch. You know, there was Boston Massacre Part 2, but flip it around to the Red Sox as opposed to the Yankees back in 78, which is what I mentioned last week on the program but the Yankees I knew they were going to be fine because considering that they were going into a week playing the Chicago White Sox who are fourth in the AL Central and then coming home on a long homestand 11 games with four against the Texas Rangers in which they won three of the last four lost game Friday night already you know gave up a ton of runs you know you live with it but they won three of four six of seven since we last spoke and as I said last week, I know the sky was falling with a lot of these Yankee fans. A lot of them felt as if, oh, there goes the division. Now we've got to worry about a wild card game. One game, it doesn't matter. You know, it's all or nothing. Yeah, we get that. But you know what? You don't worry about that right now. What I said last week is what I'm going to say now. I'm sure as much as the sky was falling and you're at the ledge, ready to jump, and you felt that this Yankee season, which was going to be one of the most memorable of all time, you know, circa 1998, dare I say, when they went through that crazy stretch in the middle of the season. But now, here you are a week later, and I'm sure you're puffing your chest out. I'm sure you're feeling good. Right. Have you made up any ground winning six of seven this past week? Not a lick, because Boston has pretty much done the same thing. They won six of seven, and they just got Chris Sale back yesterday from the DL, who struck out 12. So now you got him back in the mix. Again, Yankee fans cannot worry about the division. You can't. It's going to be a foregone conclusion to think that this team is going to be hosting the wildcard game there on that first Tuesday or Wednesday, whatever that day is. I think chances are it'll be Tuesday in the Bronx right after the season. And right now, of course, you time for that. I know you want more. I know your record says better. You're, what are you, 75 or 74 and 43, 31 games over 500. But unfortunately, you play in a division with a team that's 50 games over 500. And all you can do is just set your sights on continue to play winning baseball, continue to win series, beat these teams. Yeah, you'll see the Red Sox down the road in the next to last week of the season and then, of course, the final three games in Fenway. But until you get to that point, there's no way on God's green earth you worry about the Red Sox. Now, do you expect the Red Sox to have a hiccup here and maybe lose a couple of series? I mean, they're not going to lose seven in a row. I mean, they haven't done so all year. I think the longest losing streak this year is three games. So what, do you expect him to go into a tailspin to lose, you know, seven, eight in a row or 
go through a stretch where they've lost 9 of 12? Could it happen? Of course. But chances are it's highly unlikely. They've just been a buzzsaw pretty much since the start of the season. But if you're the Yankees and you're the Yankee fan, the thing that you hold your hat on is that you continue to play winning baseball from here to the end of the season. And you've done so since that sweep up in Fenway. And then your schedule looks favorable from here on out. We talked about the Mets who are going to come to town, granted with Jacob deGrom. But they are the Mets, and they've been awful all year, so you never know. And deGrom has won them for a lifetime against the Yankees, is, if you want to hang your hat on that, Yankee fans. But then you have Tampa coming in, who have been feisty, and you know Tampa has played the Yankees very hard and very well. And I'm sure the Yankees want to owe Tampa a little something because of those games down in Tampa. I think they won five of the last six down there, so... I'm sure there's going to be some hell to pay when the Tampa comes to town starting tomorrow. And then you have Toronto coming in over the weekend. So the Yankees could certainly pad the stats and pad the record here over the course of the next week before they go on the road next week to Miami, which will be interesting, and we'll talk about that next week, and then Baltimore before they come back home to close out the month. But the two or three things you got to look at this Yankee team right now And first and foremost, I got to say this, and I got to shout out the Yankee fans. I know not all of you. I know it's just a handful of bozos in their early 20s that get, you know, tanked before the game or during the game. And what are they going to do? They're going to boo the, you know, $325 million man when he strikes out five times, twice in one week or whatever it was. And that's Giancarlo Stanton. Here's a guy that we all knew coming in to contract, coming off the MVP year. The lineup was already stacked to begin with. Now it's even extra stacked bringing this guy in. And when you look at the first six weeks of the season, a lot of people are thinking, ah, trade this guy. Ah, He's never going to amount to anything close to the MVP status that he built himself up from last year. You know, why is he on his team? So on and so forth. I even had a couple of my dear friends come out and say, ah, maybe you can get rid of Stanton. Well, nobody, there's no way you're going to get rid of Stanton in that contract. And I get that you have enough right-handed power in this lineup. And we all know that bringing Giancarlo was like, you look at your driveway and you have a Rolls Royce and a Maserati. And then what are you bringing now? You bring in a Lamborghini in Stanton. So Yankee fans are going to have to live with that. But as of right now, this has been the guy who's carried your team here with Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez on the shelf. He now has 30 home runs. He's batting around 280, a little bit north of that. He certainly provided the firepower that this team, dare I even say, not that they're lacking of any power, but certainly has carried the load here with both of their big guys out. And also, you know, kudos to Aaron Hicks. I mean, he's been, so I'm going to talk about him in a minute. But, you know, Stanton, for all the booing from these Yankee fans earlier this year, I mean, they're a bunch of clowns to begin with. But how in the world in April – or are you going to measure this man? Granted, you don't want anyone striking out five times. And I get that goes for anybody who comes into this town. Whether it was Piazza striking out five times or Roger Clemens when he first came here, giving up home run after home run, or anybody that's walked into the city wearing a Meadow Yankee uniform has always had some way, shape, or form struggles where they certainly weren't able to get out of it and the fans have gotten, you know, gotten on them. And with Stanton, what has he done? Nothing but class. He's held his head high. He realizes that he's in a pressure-packed environment. It's something that I'm sure he relished during his press conference last year when he got traded. 
And he's pretty much relished throughout, even in those downtimes. But now he's riding high. He's performing pretty similar to where he was last year around this time. And granted that he's not carrying the whole load like he did in Miami. But with Judge and with Sanchez out, he has certainly fortified that middle of the lineup to show that, hey, he's no fluke. And sometimes with guys like that, coming to a new team, whole new environment, whole new atmosphere. You know, it's not like Giancarlo went to St. Louis where he could strike out five times twice in a week and they would still cheer him. Comes here, settles down, starting to hit at home hot. a lot better at home than he did earlier on in the year. And he's riding high, off and running. What about Aaron Hicks? I mean, that guy seems like every other day he's hitting a home run. And Hicks was a guy that a lot of people thought was just going to be a fourth outfielder coming in. Remember Jacoby Ellsbury? (laughs) He was going to be the everyday center fielder, but Hicks certainly got off to that fast start last year, cooled off, got off to that slow start this year, and then he's just been on fire. And we all know how good of an outfielder he is, strong arm, good defense. So it's amazing to think that the Yankees could lose two of their biggest offensive players and not miss a beat. I understand it helps playing against the White Sox and the Rangers of the world, but still, you got to beat the teams in front of you, and they've certainly produced even with those guys out. And, of course, Didi's contributed. As we know, remember, Didi went through that stretch in the middle of the season where he was just awful. You know, he couldn't even buy a hit. And then a lot of people, you know, looking at this team moving forward, I understand it's the pitching, and they're going to beat up Their offense is going to beat up on the dregs of the American League, and they're going to beat up on this pitching. But the Yankees have their own pitching issues that they have to deal with. You know, Tanaka had another poor performance there the other night against Texas. So, again, it's almost as if who's the real Masahiro Tanaka you're going to get? Well, when you look back at last October, he was certainly shining his brightest on the big stage. Is that going to happen again this year? You know, CeCe's pretty much been up and down here over the last six to eight weeks. We know about Severino, and that's the thing about Severino. People were mentioning last week, and I forgot to even mention this on the podcast, but you know, Severino went through a stretch of four bad starts, was not pitching well, giving up home runs, coming out of the you know, games in fifth and sixth inning. And the one thing that you don't worry about your ace is that they're always going to go through that stretch. They're always going to go through a few games where they're not going to be on. I mean, even look at the game the other day in Chicago. He put seven innings, three runs, seven hits, which is a quality start. But for him, you know, you look at Severino, you think seven innings, you think of one run, three hit ball. Or two runs, you know, five hit ball. Not three and seven, but he didn't walk anybody, struck out eight, and that's typical Severino. Great control, high strikeout totals. All right, people have been hitting him. I don't know if he's getting through a rough stretch or his fastball, although it's at 99, but it's not moving, it's just straight, so... Batters are connecting against him. But with him, his velocity's there. There doesn't seem to be any wear and tear on him as far as his body's concerned. He's still throwing triple digits in the late innings. So with him, I never worried about him. I mean, the guy's he's been a horse the last year and a half. So why is that going to slow down? Is he going to have his bad starts? Of course. I mean, everybody does. But now with Severino, you would think that after the game against Chicago, now who knows what's going to happen tonight against the Mets. And moving forward, you would think that he's going to get that second wind and push to October. 
And as far as the manager, I got to cut to the chase here with the managers here. Because I know I made a reference to Aaron Boone and Mickey Calloway pretty much being one and the same. And I'm not trying to say that Calloway is equal Aaron Boone as far as managers, managerial experience is concerned. Obviously, they both have the same amount of experience or Callaway being a better, quote-unquote, manager than Aaron Boone. That's not the case. The reason why they are alike is this, and I don't like to see, if you're a Yankee fan, you don't like to hear this. But then again, this is where we are in the year 2018 when it comes to managers and when it comes to baseball, period. You know, when Aaron Boone, after these games and the press conferences, I understand he's not going to throw any players under the bus. I get that. I understand he's not going to point out the negatives more than the positives when it comes to his players. All right, if his team isn't playing well, he says, oh, we're scuffling a little bit, whatever. But what I don't like, and this is what Mickey Calloway does, what I don't like is that after every press conference, the pom-poms come out. So let's say Severino, third of an inning tonight, gets lit up for eight runs and seven hits. You know, instead of saying, well, he just didn't have it tonight, they'll say, oh, it was his location, his velocity was good, his stuff was good, but they were just hitting it. Uh, Let's call it as we see it. And it's sad to say that in this day and age of baseball, and I've never been a fan of Jason Worth, the old Philly and uh, Washington national player who I couldn't stand, Met fans can't stand, period. But I think he's absolutely right when it comes to nerds or running baseball because of all the stupid sabermetrics and the analytics of the game that have certainly superseded anything that's going on with anyone watching the games because how I look at it, it's all about what's on the back of the baseball card, but even more so, the eye test. And it's sad that all these managers, and I guess it starts at the top of the GMs too, and the owners, but it's sad that all of the new managers coming in, that everything has to be based on the stupid analytics. And it has to be based on everybody hugging it out and loving one another. That there's no more tough love. And you got a glimpse of that last year with the whole Joe Girardi, Gary Sanchez deal. And I'm not trying to say that that's why Joe Girardi was shown the door. But when you hear Brian Cashman at the end of the season say, oh, I think it's about time, this team needs a different voice. Pretty much what he's trying to say is, is that, yeah, we need to have somebody sing Kubaya and, hey, let's go out to dinner every now and again to boost team morale. Which to me is an absolute joke. Now all of a sudden, baseball's trying to reinvent itself here over the last five years due to all these geeks and nerds who never swung a bat to save their life or caught a ball. And listen, people can look at me as a Jay Reels. Well, hey, you're a podcaster and here you are talking about, like, what did you do growing up? Uh, Listen, I played ball. And my goal, my aspiration was to be a Major League Baseball player. Did it work out that way? No. Just because of my Sandlot experience, does that mean I have Major League game experience? No. But again, it goes back to all these years watching the game, all these years following the game, the eye test, which kind of gets thrown out the window because everything has to be about launch angle. Everything has to be about bat bip. Everything has to be about exit velocity. Uh, what is that? And people know. I, I've said this before on the podcast, and we're not trying to get too deep into it. To me, it's an absolute disgrace how much people have relied on that. And I get it. It's the new age of baseball. But to me, it's a farce. And it's sad because going back to my point with the managers, when you look at Aaron Boone, and wanting to have this great atmosphere in the clubhouse, that's like the new analytic. You know, you can't have a guy come in there, throw a chair, or tip over a buffet table. No, because then that's going to rub the players the wrong way, and then right away the players are going to start griping, and the next thing you know the manager's going to be out of town. 
instead of having that guy that's going to can't do this in this day and age, but it's not going to be Billy Martin, Reggie Jackson, where you're going to pull the guy by the jersey and say, hey, you know, hustle out there. Or, hey, you know, what are you doing swinging 3-0 and when you, we had a take sign? No, everything has to be on thin ice. Everything has to be, you know, I got to tiptoe through everything because, oh, we got to make the players happy. It's an absolute joke. That's what Mickey Calloway does. That's what Aaron Boone does. And you got to wonder, in big spots, especially as these games get even more pressure-packed, and when you get into October, sorry, if you got to pull somebody to whether pinch hit or if that guy is going 0 for 5 or whatever it is, yeah, it's, it's, you got to put him you know, on the bench, put him to rest, whatever it is. But we don't know. Players are sensitive in this day and age. So, of course, the minute you say something wrong or rub a player the wrong way, then next thing you know, that goes up to Brian Cashman and it's going to be written up. And next thing you know, manager will be out out the door. That's not to say it's going to happen with Aaron Boone, but you get the gist. So that's why I see the similarities. And not only just that, but you see it everywhere else. I'm sure it's the same way in Philly with Gabe Kapler. I'm sure, wait, listen, everything's peaches and cream in Boston. I'm sure everybody loves Alex Cora. But imagine if they go through a little September swoon where they've lost 10 out of 14 and the Yankees are creeping up. And the next thing you know, in late September, when the Red Sox invade the stadium and they're two ahead of the Yankees, you think there's going to be some happy faces in uh, Beantown? That's not to say they're going to start sniping at the manager, but I'm sure there may be some grumbles and mumbles that we're not going to be able to see behind the scenes. Because sadly, that's just how the game is today. And pretty much with all sports, when you think about it, everybody loves to have that player's coach or player's manager. That's what it's about here in this day and age. You know, the Earl Weavers of the world, the tough managers, those are the thing of the past. But anyway, with all that being said, Yankees certainly have a, an easy week ahead of them. Of course, they have to play the games. We'll see how it shakes down. But uh, Yankees are a four-and-a-half games lead of the wild card over the Seattle Mariners. Oh, I'm sorry, over the Oakland Athletics, and we'll get to the Mariners in a second. In fact, let's segue that to around the horn with Major League Baseball because there's some fascinating storylines that are going on, and I'd be remiss to not talk about it. The American League, we pretty much know what's set. The AL East, as it stays, you're going to have your Red Sox winning the AL East, as we know, Yankees at wild card, the Centrals wrapped up where the Cleveland Indians, I believe, have a 12-game lead over the Twins. Now, what's really shaken down is what's going on in the AL West, where Houston has pretty much been the front runner all along. They just hosted the Seattle Mariners over the weekend. And mind you, before the weekend began, the manager, Scott Service, had demoted King Felix, Felix Hernandez, of course, their prize pitcher for so many years, to the bullpen, which he's been awful this year, and he's certainly on the back nine. He's probably at pole 16 on his career right about now, but he's in the bullpen. And what did that do? That only propelled them to a four-game sweep in Houston over the Astros. So they were eight games back coming into the weekend. Now they're just four back and just two and a half behind the wild card where the Oakland A's, who are sandwiched in between both Houston and Seattle, have that lead. And Oakland, of course, has been playing very good baseball, You know, bringing in guys from other teams. They've just brought in Mike Fiers, a couple weeks back to kind of add some more stability to their starting rotation. So that AL West, which at first 
looked like it was just going to be Houston and then who's going to win the wild card out there between Seattle and Oakland. Now you really have a what's looking like to be a real race there in the AL West, not only just for the wild card, but also for the division. Now, I didn't get to check to see the schedule for Houston moving forward. I did for the NL West teams that are in the wild card mixer, and I'll get to them in a minute. But the Astros right now certainly got to wonder, and you know, no Jose Altuve he hasn't come back from that injury yet. They say maybe back sometime this week. They just got Carlos Correa back, so you figure that once they get all their pieces back in the mix, that they'll be back to their old selves, flying high. But right now, there's a little bit of, uh, I don't want to say a scare, but certainly concerns there down in Houston, knowing that this team has had a comfortable lead. Oakland's pretty much been breathing down their necks, and now they got Seattle after that sweep. So we'll certainly keep our eye on that as we uh, move forward on this baseball season. And then in the East, the Braves and Phillies are duking at it where the Braves have percentage points uh, percentage point lead over the Phillies in the NL East. And they're, they're going to have a fascinating ending to their season because seven of the last 10 games of the schedule is between Philly and Atlanta. They have four at home in Atlanta and then three at Philly to end the season. So the division could come down to that and obviously a wild card. So we'll keep our eyes on that race as we get down the stretch, as far as Washington's concerned, they're five and a half back in the division, five and a half back in a wild card. They had an excruciating loss last night, losing on a uh, grand slam there in the ninth inning in walk-off fashion. They were up 3 nothing. Scherzer pitched the gem, but it was all for naught as the Nationals lose to the Cubs 4-3. to The Central big uh, series starting tomorrow in Chicago between the Brewers and the Cubs. Cubs have a three-game lead over the Brewers as of right now. You also have St. Louis has played well. They've actually won their last five in a row to kind of get themselves back in the mix, although they're still five and a half back of the lead and two and a half back of Milwaukee, but uh, certainly making some noise there in the Central and even the Pirates still trying to hang in there, not only just for a wild card, but even division. They're eight back. Chances are they're not going to even come close to the division, but still they've uh, rebounded nicely considering where they once were earlier this season. And then out west, you have a similar logjam, but even tighter, just like the AL West between Arizona, L.A., and Colorado. The Diamondbacks currently in first place where the Dodgers have a, uh, they're a game behind Arizona, and Colorado's a game and a half behind them. Colorado just finished winning three or four against L.A. and got themselves or inched a little bit closer there to the division lead. What's fascinating is... When you look at their schedules, Arizona has six with L.A. and Colorado uh, both. But toward the end of the year, they play in back-to-back series, the second-to-last series and next-to-last series for Arizona. So who knows? The division could stumble right down to the wire between those two series. And then Colorado has 13 of 16 in September, a stretch, I don't know, right after Labor Day and right before the end of the season where 13 of those 16 games are against L.A. and Arizona. So – these fascinating finishes, and that's why this wild card is, makes it even that much more interesting. You know, because you have all these races to talk about. I understand in the American League, thank God for the AL uh, West, because when you look at the East and the Central, there's nothing there to report. Obviously, the AL West is on and popping. And then in the National League, we got Atlanta Philly, you got everything that's going on in the NL Central, and obviously in the NL West. So this is certainly going to be riveting down the final seven weeks of the season. And Listen, this is why I'm here to report it, to talk all about it. I understand we'll talk about the locals all we want, but the baseball fan, for everybody out there 
I'm sure they're chomping at the bit to see what's going to happen and, and unfold here over the course of the next seven weeks as we get closer to the end of the season. And, hey, this is why baseball is beautiful in that regard because all these games matter, all these games count, especially for the ones that are involved. Obviously, the teams that are out of it, they're just riding out the string and waiting for 2019. But all the baseball to report from here on out here on the Jerry's Podcast, you know I'll be on top of it. And uh, before we move forward, uh, we'll certainly keep our eye out on what's happening throughout the MLB landscape. All right, as we turn our attention to golf, that's right, golf. And last week, I failed to mention about the PGA that was played out uh, near St. Louis over this past weekend. Remember the British Open just a few weeks prior where we had Tiger made that furious run, although he fell short, back a few strokes. I thought then that the momentum between that course and that tournament was going to translate well to this tournament because of the three-week stretch or the three-week break, I should say, between tournaments. You know, it's not as if this tournament was going to be played sometime in September where Tiger will have a lot more time to sit on uh, despite the fact that he's been playing very good golf as of late. But who would have thought this weekend and the way it unfolded that Tiger was going to be in the mix on 15 yesterday, one stroke back behind Brooks Kepka on top of the leaderboard. I mean, I would have thought that there's no way, shape, or form that would have happened. Yeah, but he would have been in the weeds, laying in the weeds, a couple strokes back, whatever it may be. Yeah, and as he was. But I don't think at that point yesterday when he birdied on 15, one stroke back, that there was nobody in that place that was not rooting for him. And you could hear the roars. You could hear the cheer. I mean, it was just unbelievable. And we all know Tigers fall from grace. We, we know the whole deal. We don't have to get into that. But it's amazing to think that this guy who was, and still is, I mean, let's face it, Unless you're rolling out, you know, a 60-year-old Tiger Woods where we all know that he's not going to make cuts anymore. Tiger Woods is certainly going to bring attention to any TV, to anybody who's following the sport, or any casual fan that knows that Tiger Woods is on the verge of winning a major tournament. That's national news. And with him coming that close, now granted it was the 15th hole, and of course it was late in the match, but Brooks Kepka, who certainly kept his poise, kept his control, certainly had a phenomenal weekend himself. But to me, that big shot there on 16 off the tee, what he had a four iron, 240-something yards, and he birdied on that hole to take a two-stroke lead, that's when you knew that was it. Because if Tiger was going to... Tiger had to be even to me on that next hole. It's almost like in baseball. Let's say, for instance, you know, your team... Your pitcher gives up three runs in the first. If that your team comes back and scores two, that's what you need. Because you need to still be in that match. And hopefully your pitcher will hold down that one-run lead until your offense gets more runs. Having Tiger at that hole being one stroke back, that was equivalent to that. And if Kepka would have stayed even, then Tiger would have probably started sniffing some blood and maybe would have gone him for the kill. But when Kepka hit that shot, four iron, right on the green, I mean, that was pretty much lights out. And mind you, Tiger did not have a great day on the fairway. He was awful for Tiger. He was certainly not hitting the fairway. He certainly had to be creative with a lot of these shots. It was really watching the Tiger of old. You know, obviously all the fist pumps, the beautiful putts. I know that one putt on 11 that was just right on the lip. Other cup, and it certainly didn't drop. 
But we only hope and pray, the sports fan, especially the golf fan, that Tiger, that yesterday wasn't his final day in the sun at a major coming that close to things. That second place was almost like first place for Tiger Woods yesterday. And, you know, he shot a 64 in that final round, which is actually his best ever at a major. 64. You know, this was definitely Tiger circa, you know, 2001 to 2008, where he was just unstoppable. And I understand that maybe the critic out there to be like, oh, you see, you know, nobody intimidates Tiger, or I should say the other way around, that Tiger was the type of guy that would intimidate everybody else on the course. Here he was storming back. But you know what? It was the 15th hole, and Kepka was playing phenomenal. Maybe if he was one stroke back at, at the eighth hole, things may have been different. But it was too little, too late for Tiger. Obviously, he waited for Kepka and congratulated with a big hug. Kind of wanted the Tiger of the past. Probably just would have been a handshake and walked off. But now, the thing is, with Kepka winning again, and this is actually his second of his last three majors, he's won. Because he won the U.S. Open at Shinnecock here in our backyard in June. And then now wins yesterday, of course. So three majors for him, 28 years old. A lot of people now putting him up in the echelon of other golfers, whether it's the Dustin Johnsons, the Justin Thomas, Ricky Fowlers, you know, the, the, those guys. Rory McIlroy's, et cetera. And kudos to him. But, of course, the story is always going to be about Tiger. But now my thing is, is that with all the majors out of the way and the next major isn't until April at Augusta. Is Tiger going to be able to bring back that magic eight months later? You know, it's not like you had a major two left. I know you have the Ryder Cup coming up. It's not a major, but a lot of people consider it like the fifth major. So we'll wait to see what's going to happen with that. And that's not for, I believe, until October. But Tiger now, he's got eight months to sit on this. And we all know he's going to prep and he's going to be prepared. He's going to be ready to go. He's going to be chomping at the bit, all of that. But will these last two majors translate to Augusta and then next year at the U.S. Open? And next year, the British Open, I mean, listen, that remains to be seen. We certainly don't have a crystal ball to figure that one out. I mean, we'd only hope that that's the case because, like I said last week, you know, is Tiger back? I said, I don't know. I mean, he's been playing much better than we ever imagined. We know how close he came at the British Open and even came closer here. And you got to give him props for that. But does that mean that he's 100% officially back? as one of the top golfers in the world. Listen, it's hard to argue, but I, I still have to see it. And even more so after an eight-month layoff of majors. Now, if he starts winning tournaments toward the end of the year and has a very productive uh, Ryder Cup and then going into next year where he plays all those early tournaments, you know, the Bay Hills and uh, a lot of those out in Arizona and even in Florida – then we'll see. I mean, th- then I could get a better barometer as to what Tiger can do and say, you know what, I think he's back. Yeah, we could say he's back after these two tournaments. That's great. But what are we going to see for the rest of the year? So it's a little too early to tell. I don't think we're going to see the old Tiger where he's not making cuts and, you know, he's shooting 78s. But I can't say that the Tiger that shot 64, oh, yeah, he's back also. So once we get into January next year, 
once we get some momentum built, I'm sure now his confidence has to be as high as it's ever been. Dating back to him winning the U.S. Open in 2008 and everything that ensued after that. But now we just have to play the waiting game and see how he continues to perform on this level against these golfers and whether or not he's able to string consistency and maybe win a couple of these tournaments and go into next year flying high and trying to get that elusive 15th major. Fascinating stuff, it really is. I mean, even if you're not a golf fan or you're just a casual sports fan, Tiger Woods, when you hear that name, it's synonymous with greatness. Or at least once he, when he was once great. And with everything that he's gone through, the off-the-court stuff, off-the-course stuff, his play on the course, his health, then now he's just getting that much closer to maybe not getting the 01 to 08 Tiger back, but this version of this Tiger is certainly a lot better than the version that we've gotten in the early 2010s and teens, that's for sure. That's fascinating. Just It really is. And, you know, I just wish there was another major for him to go at it to give it one more shot before the end of the year. It's just sad that we have to wait until April next year in order to see that. All right, quickly some uh, NFL news and notes as we uh, talk about the Jets and Giants. I know last week, mentioning Sam Darnold, the quarterback of the Jets, I know a lot of people think that, hey, he has a fair shot of winning the starting job at week one there against Detroit on a Monday night. And when you look at what he did this past Thursday night, or Friday, I should say, he was uh, certainly as advertised. You know, had great stats. What was he, 9 for 13, 90-something yards, threw a touchdown. Uh, if that's a glimpse of what's uh, to come, Jet fans, I'm sure they're going to be uh, jumping out of their chairs, excuse me, after every touchdown pass that Sam Darnold throws. But we still have plenty of camp to go. Teddy Bridgewater was certainly effective too in his first start. And you know that he wants to get this job just as much. So despite the fact that Sam Darnold may have a very strong case to win this job, if Teddy Bridgewater is nose-to-nose with him, I would think Teddy Bridgewater is probably going to win the job. And I know that's not going to be in favor of the Jet fan. They're going to want to bring their prize number one pick to start week one. But you got to remember something. Despite the fact Teddy Bridgewater is coming off a severe injury, and does have quite a bit to prove to see if he still has the mobility. Now, he wasn't really that type of quarterback. You know, when you look at a guy like Bridgewater who was tall, could throw the ball, but, you know, right away they're just going to equate him to being a running quarterback. That he was not. Yes, he was mobile. He was, he was shifty. He was able to scramble when need be. But, you know, he's definitely not in the mold or the make of a Dante Culpepper or Michael Vick. And obviously with a knee injury, I'm sure he's compromised a little bit by that. But if he's going to have an effective preseason here and put up similar stats to what Sam Donald does and obviously his practices and reps and everything that goes on throughout the rest of training camp is favorable I mean how does he not win the job and I get people going to clamor for Donald to start week one and that's not to say if Donald has one hiccup oh he's not getting a job but you got to be fair here Bridgewater you would think going into this training camp was his job to win and so far, and it's still early. We still have three more games, a bunch of practices, etc. But, you know, Bridgewater's showing that he belongs. And the Jet fan may not like that right now. Or who knows? Maybe the Jet fans kind of look at us, hey, we got two guys. Darnold could come off the bench. All right, if, if you feel that way, great. 
Because right now, how I look at it, Bridgewater's production, if this continues, he's getting a job. And it would be an upset if Darnold did. Now, if Darnold was poor and Bridgewater was well, there's no way. I mean, it's a given. But I don't think Darnold's going to be given the job because he's a number one pick and it's pretty much going to be the future of this team. And we all know he is the future, not Teddy Bridgewater. But Bridgewater, who, as we all know, has experience, he's played in the league, he's been successful. If he goes out and has a successful camp, he's going to win the job. I mean, (laughs) that's all there is to it. So still plenty of games to play, plenty of time left. We're just getting warmed up here in this uh, NFL exhibition, so... Plenty of time to dissect that as we move along. And then Saquon Barkley, who also made a splash, had that big 39-yard run up the right sideline. Four carries, he had 43 yards in the game, so he had the one big carry after that, didn't do anything, but no big deal. Giants lose to the Browns. All right, you're not going to get too crazy about that. But with the Giants, it's just being able to get the offense in sync. Having the running back is enormous. It's certainly going to help them, and it's going to help Eli even more so. Because everybody's either going to stack eight in a box to stop this kid, which is going to leave one-on-one isolation on the edges. So if you're going to have Odell Beckham out there on an island by himself, you can forget it. And, you know, what are you going to get from this defense this year? Defense two years ago under Ben McAdoo was phenomenal. All pros everywhere. You know, Snacks Harrison, Landon Collins. Yeah, big year from... Olivier Vernon, and then last year they just went out to lunch for 16 games. So to me, those are going to be the two keys for the Giants this year, how that running game is going to boost that offense, and even Eli at 37 years old, because a lot of the talk was with him so far is how in great shape he's been coming into camp and what that means for him and the team moving forward. And we all know Eli's always pretty much kept himself in good shape obviously he's never missed a game until last year when the controversy with Geno Smith but that's old news and now we move forward here in this preseason and outside of that I mean I know you've had a couple other things going on I mean of course the anthem let's bring that up for a minute yeah Kenny Stills taking a knee there before their game against the Buccaneers you haven't had much of a widespread protest among a lot of the players at least that's what I got I know the Dolphins they of course took a couple of knees a couple of their players the aforementioned stills trying to think of anything else happened over the weekend not that I heard because even in passing you would hear some of these stories from other games or other teams taking knees or protesting against the the anthem and right now the NFL is just saying hey you know, whether they want to take a knee or not, it's on them. And again, there's still no rule. I know a couple of weeks back I came out with a rule which would stop all this, but I guess the NFL is just letting it go right now. And I don't want to say the inmates are running the asylum, I mean, to a certain extent with this anthem thing, but we're going to see. I, I mean, they should have nipped this in the butt a long time ago. I'm not going to beat that horse again. Forgive the pun. You know, I'm not going to beat that uh, situation to death because, you know, if the NFL can't figure it out, then, you know, they're in for a mess as it is. I mean, it's already been a mess to this point, so imagine what's going to happen week one if half the league is going to take knees. So 
But uh, but other than that, I mean, I know the Jaguars had this incident with uh, Jalen Ramsey and their uh, other former first-round pick, the kid Dante Flower. Oh, I'm sorry, Dante Fowler, where they both got suspended for uh, conduct detrimental to the team. You know, obviously Ramsey is an all-pro, so you got to wonder how that's going to affect him long-term. I mean, it's going to be minor. I mean, you don't think it's going to really have any impact, but at the same time, he is one of your top players, and you only hope to corral him and say, hey, kid, you know, we need you to get it together. And I understand it was a situation with the media filming one of the practices and a big scuffle took place, and obviously he wasn't happy about that. But but NFL training camps have been kind of quiet all around. You know, no major injuries. Well, you did have the one in Washington, the kid, uh, Darius uh, Juice, unfortunately tore his ACL, so he's done for the year. For the Redskins, they also suffered another injury at wide receiver, which I believe that kid may be out for the year. And uh, But other than that, I mean, it's pretty much all quiet on the Western front here when it comes to the NFL. But as we all know, within uh, an eyelash, that could change. And we'll be certain to uh, continue to keep you up to date, keep you up to speed of what's going on here in the weeks to come on the j Rose Podcast. All right, guys, in closing... Uh, Check my website, www.jreels.com. There is an event that's taking place next weekend, next Saturday, that I uh, caught wind of for a former podcast guest and Tony Delk. Uh, for those who don't know who Tony Delk is, he's a former <clears throat> excuse me, University of Kentucky standout guard, played on that uh, national title team in 1996 under Rick Pitino, was the most outstanding player of the Final Four. Uh, he's having an event here in Manhattan. Uh, which details to come, so check the website. But it is taking place next Saturday, August 25th from 6 to 8 p.m. Not only does he have a book that's out, but he also has a wine collection that he also uh, just started. We talked about it a little bit on the podcast back in May, so if you didn't listen to it, you want to go back, please feel free to check that out. It was a very good interview with uh, Tony Delk. So more details to come. I'll certainly have more details to come on the next podcast next Monday, but as for right now, just keep an eye on the website. I should probably have something midweek close to the end of the week so before the next podcast i should have it up i'll have, probably have a flyer little uh, description of it so for those who are interested it's gonna be in manhattan right now i believe the venue is set but i want to get all the details to confirm that so i can post it as opposed to just loosely giving out details as it is i know i'm not giving you 100 percent, but i just want to give you a heads up for those that are in the tri-state area to want to come out support tony delk's book and also his wine collection that'd be great so uh, that'll be next Saturday, I believe, 6 to 8 p.m., but more de- details to come on that, and I'll be sure to provide that on my website and, of course, on the podcast next week. And for those, again, that want to share this podcast with uh, anyone and everyone out there, please feel free to do so, not only on the website, again, jreels.com, but also on Apple Podcasts, on Spreaker, Stitcher, Google Play, Spotify. All you have to do is uh, just go on your phone, people. phone is a couple of presses subscribe and away we go also leave a rating post a review which is very important amongst all the other sports podcasts that are in the universe not only will it increase popularity and increase visibility but in turn will also have the chance for me to get uh, better guests because of that visibility so with your participation please subscribe leave a review post a comment all that i'll be forever indebted to you guys of course without me putting out this podcast it you know, certainly without you guys, it would be more me. I got that backwards. But you know what I'm saying. And uh, also, you want to send an email? The email is thejreelspodcast at gmail.com. From the South Bronx, the South Beach, the South Central, the South Pacific, and all points beyond. 
Peace, love, and God bless everybody. And until next time on the J Reels Podcast, on the flip, baby.